joined on air with Adam Hertz, Marion Ware, Director of Athletics, Physical Education, and Recreation at Swarthmore. Adam, thank you for joining me today on this Zoom call. Brandon, it's great to see you remotely, but it's great to see you regardless. Adam, so I just want to ask you a couple questions so we can get to know you a little bit better. I want to go all the way back. You're born and raised. You're a Philly guy. You went to Temple. Your journey to becoming an AD at Swarthmore took you far west, like really far west. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, uh, those stops along the way? Yeah, well, I, as you mentioned, I am uh, Philly born and raised, West Philly in the house. Woo -woo. Um, it was actually my undergraduate education that uh, started my journey out west. Uh, I'd never been anywhere west of Pittsburgh, actually. And so when I started looking at colleges, that became a realization to me. Uh, and it really got me curious about seeing the rest of the country. So um, I started looking for schools as far west as I could. I, I hit upon the University of Redlands and, and uh, sort of really fell in love with the way that it felt. Uh, my goal was to to get out to California, declare residency and transfer to a UC school. But uh, I really fell in love with the opportunities that Redlands presented for me. Anyway, um, it gave me an opportunity to get in a car, drive out to the West Coast, see the country, spend uh, two semesters out and then drive back every summer. So I made that trip uh, back and forth every year for four years and I got to see basically the entire United States while I did that. Um, it was after graduating that I landed my first job in, in Maui, Hawaii, uh, where I was hired as the sports director for a station that did Maui Interscholastic League and University of Hawaii Athletics. Um, I had started uh, the sports department at my radio station at Redlands, and so we did play-by-play -play of uh, football, basketball, and baseball uh, for Redlands, and then I did some work for KPRO in Riverside uh, before heading out to, to Hawaii where we produced various UCLA games and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so Hawaii was the first job. Um, it was fun. I was also the morning drive DJ. So I worked both ends of the day and, uh, you know, in between I, I'd go up to the, to the North shore of Maui and watch everybody windsurf and, and surf and windsail and all that. Uh, did you, Adam, did you pick up surfing while you were out there or just observed? Not me. Uh, not on those waves. I did do some boogie boarding out there, though, and uh, continue to be a body surfer at the Jersey Shore where the waves are much more timid. <laughs> so you were, you know, the morning drive DJ. What were some of the top tracks you were spinning then? Oh, Lordy. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you would still hear today on certain stations, Madonna, Prince, Lionel Richie, uh, The Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian, you know, Whitney Houston, stuff like that. And I understand you have quite the vinyl collection still. Are there any albums that like you just won't get rid of? You know, actually, um, this uh, quarantine has given me the opportunity to start purging some of that. And uh, I've actually started selling off some of my records. Um, I've sold about 800 so far, and it's been a pretty emotional experience, surprisingly <laughs> emotional. Um, I'm not sure that there are any albums that I can't part with, but there are so many songs that have uh, an influence on my life for whatever reason, you know, the like waypoints throughout my course of life, if you will. Um, you know, so maybe, uh, the Beach Boys' Don't Worry Baby was uh, a song I remember from 
the summer that I had my first crush. Um, when I hear Joe Jackson, I think about uh, a band that two friends and I formed in high school. And Is She Really Going Out With Him was about the only song that we sang. Uh, when I say sang, I, that's a very liberal term. Um, Reasons by Earth, Wind and Fire just melts my soul anytime I hear it, especially the live version off of the Gratitude album. Romeo and Juliet from Dire Straits uh, takes me back to college where you know one of my best friends and I would just sit in his dorm room and drink seven and sevens and, and listen to that song live off the Alchemy album. Again, one that just penetrates my soul. Uh, American Girl, Tom Petty, Justin Anthem, The Cars, Billy Joel, Bob Seger. It, it reminds me of uh, concerts down at the Spectrum. Um, Life is a Highway, the Rascal Flatts song. You know, I never thought much about that song until we were hanging out with the baseball team on their trip to the College World Series. And now every time I hear that, that's the experience I flash back to. So uh, musical is, music has been a huge part of my life, and that's the reason why, because it reminds me of the, the great moments uh, during it. You mentioned you did you know, play-by-play announcing and PA announcing, and um, you've done that on the East Coast as well, right? And uh, are there any like catchphrases or anything in particular that you had like that are particular to you or any memorable calls that you've made? Yeah, um, who wants another is probably my most, if I can even say, well-known catchphrase when I was doing PA announcing for the Philadelphia Kicks. That's the way I would call the goal. I'd say so-and-so scored a goal. There's one for the Kicks. Who wants another? And the crowd would just just erupt, things like that. Um, no classic catchphrase. I used to, you know, I Harry Callis was a huge mentor of mine growing up, a role model for me. So you know, that baby's out of here was one I, I stole from him uh, for baseball. Uh, in and out heartbreak, uh, the old uh, Chick Hearn from the Clippers used to say, so I stole that from him. And uh, one of your uh, mentees, someone that did announcing under your tutelage has kind of made it big. Can you talk a little bit about Kevin Casey? So Kevin Casey, uh, who started his career turning the script pages for me at Kicks Games, uh, has now become the local authority on on soccer for PA announcing. He does the union now. He does pen games. Uh, he does anything that comes to um, what is now Subaru Park. Um, he's at, he's doing PA at the national level for the national team. He does LaSalle basketball. He's really a phenom. Uh, and I respect him tremendously. If you get a chance to, uh, look up his Twitter page, he's now in his downtime announcing things like his refrigerator inventory. And so he's like, Mayo, it's, it's uh, pretty good stuff. At some point you got into coaching. What was, what was that switch like? How did you get into break into coaching? Uh, it was actually quite natural. I, again, it was back at, uh, it was back in California at Redlands. I was playing for the men's team. There was no women's team. Uh, a friend of mine uh, had a group of friends and uh, they had uh, expressed an interest in playing soccer. And so this friend of mine and I went to uh, the student, the equivalent of the student budget committee here on campus, the student activities group, and requested money to start a, a club women's soccer team. Uh, 
which I ended up coaching uh, through varsity status at Redlands. And then it just sort of, it just became a part of what I was. I was always uh, excited about the, that part of sport and being able to give back and teach kids what, what I'd been taught and sort of maybe model what I thought was the opposite of what I had experienced in a lot of ways. I'm not going to do what my coach did. I'm going to do it the right way. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so it, it just sort of morphed from there. And every step I've taken in my career has included coaching at some level, whether it was coaching a youth team in Hawaii or uh, the eighth grade team at Germantown Friends School uh, or the, the junior varsity team at Haverford High School or the varsity team at Akiba Hebrew Academy um, and, and so on and so on. Is there a particular moment that stands out to you from being a head coach as like this was like this was a high point uh, either, you know, developing or seeing someone develop uh, as a person or as a player or, you know, just a team accomplishment, anything really stick out to you? I think, I think the first was probably with the women's team at Redlands and being able to take a group of women, some who had experience, some who had none at all, and really teach them to play together and to work together and see that team grow into what was a conference championship team. Uh, another was when I was coaching at, uh, at Beaver College, which is now Arcadia University, um, working with a, a recruit of mine who had uh, run into trouble with the law on several occasions and, and worked with him to, to develop and mature through soccer to finish his education and, and be able to move on to a successful postgraduate career. That's great. And I think, you know, at its core, that's that's what we try to do, right? Positively develop people. How how did your coaching experience help you? How does it help you now as an AD to have that perspective of being a head coach? I think that it helps dramatically in some ways and not so much in others. I think the, the most significant point is I, I share that perspective with coaches. I know what it's like to be in the trenches. I know what it's like to have to go out and recruit and try to make a class. I know what it's like to have to try and retain student athletes. Uh, there are different problems, issues with retention at any university. I've been at universities where uh, I've been concerned with my students uh, going on academic probation. And then I've been at universities where I'm concerned with getting them out of the library at three in the morning to go to bed. So. Uh, wherever you are, you've got your own unique set of challenges, and uh, I think that's the one constant, and that's the one thing that that I understand from being a coach to now being an AD. Uh, it's the same idea, but my team are my coaches and and my my staff, and I need to figure out what motivates them, how we can retain them, and walk them through any issues they may be having along the way. Um, so you coach soccer, you coach golf, you teach bowling. Do you enjoy playing of any of these sports still? Yeah, you know, I loved playing sports. Um, my body doesn't love it so much anymore. And so uh, I had a knee replacement about four years ago. And uh, it, got so, it got to the point where I couldn't play soccer anymore. I played soccer competitively into my early 50s. Um, Ice hockey is my favorite sport, which I cannot play anymore. Uh, the noontime basketball game is a struggle. It was a struggle when I had healthy limbs, but it's even more of one now. So, you know, it's the, uh, it's the uh, less Im 
impacting sports now, some tennis, you know, um, uh, a little football catch maybe on the beach. Uh, I do like to, to get in the ocean and swim. Um, but the, the competitive sports, uh, yeah, that, that point in my life is just about done. Okay. So now I need to leave, live vicariously through the students here. Oh my word. Um, so Adam, after, after you were finished your coaching career, how did you end up at Swarthmore? Reached a point in coaching at one, one point, a realization, if you will, that I, I didn't, I couldn't see myself out on the field at my age doing the types of things that are required of a successful coach. And that means getting out and beating the bushes for recruits, spending virtually every holiday on the road, uh, long days of travel, getting home late at night, uh, missing you know, the experience of my children growing up. And I tried, uh, started thinking about what the next steps were going to be uh, in my career. I had a friend named Chris Branscom, who's now the CEO of uh, EPYSA. Uh, and at that time, he was playing soccer with me, and he was an assistant coach of mine at, uh, at Arcadia University. He talked a lot about uh, careers in sports, and I'd never really thought about it up until that point. And I thought, you know, here I am coaching. What a natural transition to administration. I like bossing people around. So Let's go ahead and, and take a step up and do it. So uh, after um, eight years, I went and got my, my master's at Temple and uh, almost immediately upon graduation was offered the job at Alvernia University, where I spent a year as associate AD and then the AD left and I took over as athletic director there. Uh, also coaching the men's team, the women's team, the golf team and teaching sport management. Wow. Um, so, um, you arrived at Swarthmore, um, how has the college sports landscape just in general changed since you first started at Swarthmore? Hmm. Well, I think that there, there, there's a greater focus on national prominence now. It's much more competitive than it used to be. Uh, the money involved in Bowl championships, March Madness, TV contracts, and that sort of thing is, it's incomprehensible. And it affects us at our level too, because that's what sustains us financially at Division III. Um, in other ways, it, it's not so different at all. Uh, how we recruit has changed dramatically in terms of uh, early reads, early commitments, and, and such. But at its essence, it's the same. There's, there's more specialization of sport. So the multi-sport athlete has become a rare commodity, but we're still going out and selling a product that we believe in and trying to convince students that this is the best fit for them. And so at its core, I think coaching is the same. Um, we're trying to impact the lives of students. Uh, but it's dramatically different in that the priorities of that student have, have changed they've become much more focused, single sports focused, and much much more results oriented, I think. Um, and in your time as AD at Swarthmore, it seems like Swarthmore has you know, undergone a bit of a, a renaissance athletically as of late. Um, has that changed your definition of like 
what success looks like or has, you know what is your definition of, of success for for the Swarthmore and for the teams here for the programs I think we we talk about that a lot as a department I think uh, success, the definition of success has always been a, a fluid uh, when I got to Swarthmore, uh, we defined success as having teams that had a chance to be competitive every time they took the field. Uh, once we met that goal, success looked differently, right? So what's the next step? Now we want to have teams that can compete for conference playoff berths. We accomplished that. What's the next step? Now we want to have a teams that are competing for conference championships. And then we want to have teams that are prominent at the national level. And so the definition of success changes depending on whether you achieve that first goal. So if you rest on your laurels, right, you, you lose that, uh, that element of success. So we need to be able to engage and teach our students in such a way that the experience is a positive and memorable one. Regardless of our competitive definitions of success, if we're doing that effectively, the competitive elements fall into place and uh, we'll always have that definition. Switching gears to some more your personal sports experience. Um, in my interview with Max, I asked him about his most memorable Philly sports moments. Um, now I want to ask you as a lifelong Philly guy, you've experienced a lot of sports heartache. It's just inherent with being a Philly sports fan. What would you say goes down as your most deflating moment in Philly sports history that you've experienced? Holy cow. I think Max got the better question there because there are so far fewer greater moments in sports history than there are deflating ones. So, um, wow. Take your pick, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to date myself a little bit, but my senior year in high school, Sixers Celtics game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Sixers were the team with with uh, Dr. J and Andrew Tony, Mo Cheeks, Bobby Jones uh, going up against the Celtics and Parrish, McHale, Bird. It was an absolute dog fight. Sixers had the lead late. But frickin' Larry Bird hit a shot in the final minute of game seven to take the win and just gut the city. Oh, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, 93, Phillies lost to the Blue Jays in, in the World Series. The Phillies looked like they were on their way to game seven, uh, up one, six, five, going into the ninth uh, with uh, the wild thing on the hill. And Mitch Williams, who had been less than spectacular in that series, proceeded to give up a walk, a base hit, uh, and then a big three-run home run to Joe Carter. Um, heartbreak. Uh, Flyers Oilers, 1987, maybe. Uh, I don't know if it was, heart, if it was uh, heartbreak, but that was the team with Gretzky and, and Curry and Grant Fuhr for the Oilers and Brian Propp, uh, uh, Davey Poulin for the Flyers, Tim Kerr and Ron Hextall as a rookie in goal. And they came back from 3-1 down in the series and uh, battled courageously in game seven, just didn't have the ammunition to overtake that great Edmonton team. And uh, what we thought was going to be a Stanley Cup championship for the Flyers fell, fell short in that that final game. So um, they've got three of the four major sports. If you want the Eagles, it's, it's probably the uh, the Cold Bowl or the Fog Bowl. 
against the Bears, the Cold Bowl against the Buccaneers, where everybody was so excited that the Buccaneers or the warm weather team had to come up here and play the Eagles, and they came up here and trounced us. That's still a pretty vivid memory. So, Adam, uh, what's uh, as we're wrapping up this interview, what's one thing you'd recommend reading, watching, or listening to while people are staying at home? Uh, I would recommend them watching all these great videos that you're putting up. And I would recommend them listening to the podcast that you're going to help me start in the near future. All right. Do you, do you have a name yet for that podcast? Grains of Garnet. Got a nice right, we'll be interviewing coaches and alumni and, and parents and students about, you know, how we come together as from individual grains to form this great, powerful rock of the garnet. Look for uh, Grains of Garnet anywhere where great podcasts are available. <laughs> Perfect. You just show me how. All right. <laughs> All right, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. And Thanks, any Brandon. Final, any final words for those watching at home? Yeah, you do great work, first of all. Uh, I appreciate my uh, Garnet family so much. Um, and I appreciate what we're, that you understand what we're all going through at this time. We'll get back to normal. We'll get back to having fun in no time. Hang in there.